What's up, North Central? Come on, let's give Jesus a hand of praise in the house on today. I'm sorry, you guys, but I'm still messed up by that worship experience. <laughs> I could have stayed right there. There's a sound of victory in this house. There's a sound of victory in this house. And we're excited to be at North Central University on today, uh, looking for God to do something great in our midst. Would you just bow really quick? I know we just got through praying, but let's offer up one more quick prayer to the Lord on today. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that you have called us to be your people. God, and we thank you, God, that you've allowed us to come together in this place on today, though we have different backgrounds and different stories and different experiences. The one thing that we all have in common is a relationship with you. And God, we ask that you would grace us even right now with your presence. Oh, God, speak through us. Speak to us. Don't let us leave the same way that we came. If you believe that, say, thank God. Amen and amen. We're excited again to be here on today. And um, do just want to shout out quickly to those few folks that came with me on this morning. Um, as, uh, as the introducer of the speaker mentioned on today, uh, I hold family pretty close and dear to my heart. And so uh, with me on today is my wife of almost, what, what are we going on? Ten years? Nine years? Okay. See, I got a fact check. You know, I don't want to be up here. <laughs> I was close, you guys. Come on now. Uh, I was in the general ballpark. Uh, going on nine years of, of marital bliss. We've got four children, and one of them is with us on today. My namesake, Sidney Fry Third. Yeah, he's smiling at that. And then I also brought um, where I got my name from, my father, Sidney Fry. I guess he's senior. He's in the house on today. Shout out to Pops. Amen. And I brought my nephew and his friend with us on today. Uh, uh, they got out of school because they were going to a campus visit, right? So <laughs> I guess we'll let that count. We'll let that one slide on today. Um, so we're excited to be here. I've been coming to this building for about 20 years, believe it or not. Uh, every summer, our uh, uh, denominational affiliation has their annual statewide conference here. Uh, and so we've been here. Kojic's been in the building for a while. Church of God in Christ. Uh, we've been here for a while, and we, we are excited to be here with you guys on today. And we believe that God has something to say to each and every one of you assembled here in this sanctuary. So without any further ado, we're just going to get right to it on today. Um, I was reflecting on my own college experiences. I was riding up here and I, and I get it, you guys. I, I really, I get it. I understand. I, I know that a lot goes into surviving four or uh, five or uh, six-ish years of stress-filled college life, a lot goes into it. For one, there is a work ethic, right? Work ethic. Then you probably also got to throw in there uh, some time management skills as well. And then you all, there is my personal favorite, 
<laughs> and arguably the most important thing is a full stomach. <laughs> the most important thing, at least my, my experience, from my experience, is that you got to have a, uh, a, a full stomach. Because you see, the thing about it is that brothers like to eat. And uh, don't let this... Uh, don't let this thin frame fool you for one second. I like to eat just as much as you do. And so I think if you're going to survive college, you have to be able to have something to eat. And you guys already know there's, there's an awareness. I would assume that you probably understand that there's a stereotype, right? Uh, college kids. You guys are on that, what, Top Ramen, heavy diet? Shout out to Top Ramen, right? And maybe for those of you who got, a little, who got a little loose change, you throw in there, you sprinkle in there an occasional late night run to, to Applebee's for some half-price appetizers. Okay, I was, I was a little bit nervous because I didn't know if they still did that, but apparently, you know, you guys, they still do have rice? Okay, you know, it's just what with four kids and all, I haven't been, been very, very frequently in the last, what, nine years, and so um, it's good to know that they still got half price apps at Applebee's. That'll bless your life, trust me, just, just, just take my word for it. So, so we understand. And a lot of times as college students, you might be malnourished and you might be barely making it. And, and it might be at hard at some times to have a good quality meal. Well, uh, today, if you have not guessed by now, that's kind of the subject nature of our conversation. We're going to be talking to you guys about the theologically profound subject of food. Yes. Yeah, 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 I said it. Food. It's all up and down the pages of scriptures, you guys. Uh, you know what? I, I, I like how people try to hype how much Jesus talked about money, but they sleep on the fact that he also had a lot to say about food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a lot to say about food. Just ask the 5,000. You know, those, those 5,000 folks posted up on the side of the mountain. They were up there chilling. Snacking on a two-piece and some biscuits, y'all. <laughs> two-piece? That must have been some catfish. It was fried. It was, it was some good food. And the thing about it was, you know, I wish, to be honest with you, I would have had to tried some of those biscuits because they must have, been, must have been something else. And, and, and so don't get it twisted, you all. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Best believe Jesus knew how to get his grub on. Just, just think about it, you guys. Just think about it. He started his whole earthly ministry at that whole wedding and reception in, uh, what was it? That was it Canaan, right? Where he did that whole turning the water into wine thing. That's where he started his earthly ministry at a wedding reception where they were eating, undoubtedly. And then if you fast forward three years into the future... Where did he conclude his earthly ministry but in the upper room at what we like to refer to as the last? Oh, y'all helping me preach. Good. I understand that, you know, in the African-American tradition, preachers, when they talk, they expect the audience to, 
talk back to a preacher, okay? So, so, so you got to understand that's how we're going to roll on today. So, so Jesus started and stopped his earthly ministry in the context of food. So if that wasn't enough, though, I'm going to take it even one step further because after Jesus died, after he went to the cross and died for our sins and he was buried and thank God Almighty, he triumphantly rose from the grave. Yeah, you can give him a hand clap of praise in the house for that. Sure enough. Yes, yes. After he did all that, guess what? He came back for a fish fry. (laughs) He came back for a fish fry with his boys. Excuse me. I mean, pardon me, his disciples. He came back for a fish fry along the scenic shores of the Sea of Galilee because he couldn't go back to heaven without getting one, one, one more piece of piece of fish. So, so you have to understand that make no doubt about it when it was time to eat, Jesus made it a priority that everybody got fed. Speaking of which, uh, I do realize that it's almost lunchtime right about now. Uh, don't look at me that way, you guys. Uh, sorry, I did not bring any uh, biscuits with me on this morning. I'm sorry. I do apologize. Popeyes was closed. Popeyes was closed on the way up here, you guys. So um, I, I do have a quick question for you, though. Uh, is chapel always at this same time every day? Okay. Uh, uh, so I lied. One more quick question. Whose brilliant idea was that? I mean, seriously, whose brilliant idea was that? I mean, how are you supposed to get your mind on the word when all you can think about is what's on the menu? I mean, I mean, uh, 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 strictly out of curiosity, you guys, strictly out of curiosity, what, what, what is on the menu for today, by the way? Taco Thursday? Okay. Chitlin? What? What's? So, so, wait. So, so, okay, help me out here, though. What's the best thing on the menu here at the cafeteria? The water! The what? Oh, oh, my goodness. The water? We do apologize to the uh, cafeteria cooking staff for that remark. Um, that's some shade, some some shades being thrown up, thrown up in here on today. Uh, well, I do appreciate you guys because that does that 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 does help me out a, just a little bit because now I understand. I get it, you guys. That's the reason why some of you guys are looking at me right now, like I wish this dude would hurry up and get done because you probably haven't had anything to eat all day long. Some of you might have even missed out on a. Dinner last night, I don't know, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but, but it's all good, don't worry you guys, we're going to bind that hangry spirit right now. You got to get out of here, yep, yep, 
Lord, to help us all. <laughs> we're going to eat in just a few minutes, but uh, if you can hold on just for a few more seconds, we're going to get to the point of our subject matter for today, because if I haven't already alluded to it yet, today's subject has been entitled, The Miseducation of Soul Food. The Miseducation of soul food. In 1998, y'all probably already know, maybe, maybe you don't because maybe some of you weren't even born at that particular time, but after a uh, tumultuous breakup with her group, a young 23-year-old female artist released her first in what ended up being her last solo album, the now iconic The Miseducation of Lauren, okay, we got some people, we got some people in the know. Okay, don't sleep on it. What you might not know is the album's title was actually a nod to another brilliant work of African-American artistry. It was a book that was written by Carter G. Woodson. It was entitled The Miseducation of the Negro. It was originally published way back in 1933. If you have some free time, because I know you guys have plenty of time to do recreational reading, check it out. That was a joke, you guys. That was a joke. So, so though Miss Hill and Mr. Woodson's works were written in different times and to different audiences, they both infer some misgivings about what society had purported to them as truth. The common underlining premise, then we are left to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, extrapolate from these two black creative luminaries is this notion that miseducation is often a byproduct of misinformation. So, uh, that's what happens when you forget to turn your, uh, your ringer off right before you come up. By the way, the, 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 um, the crew on that hook was my children. They, that's, their, that's their new release coming out. Y'all going to have to check that out. That's the, that, the, they, y'all going to have to check that out. So, um, so anyways, where were we here? So we were talking about the fact that miseducation, there, there it is, miseducation is often a byproduct of misinformation. In other words, you cannot believe everything folks tell you. You can't believe every, I know, I know, Nowadays, we live in a Google generation and you just Google it and then you kind of put that in your, you know, cliff notes that this is kind of what, what is what. But the reality of the matter is you can't believe what everything you hear. You can't. Tell somebody don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. That includes what you've probably been told and come to believe about the sacred subject of soul food. Let's, let's just be real, you guys. Let's be honest. There's probably not a lot of us up in here on today. I don't see too many grandmas in the house on today. So there's probably not too many soul food savants in the house on today. Let's, let's just keep it honest. And, and, and I understand that some of you, it's been a while since you've even had a, a home-cooked meal, let alone cooked one your, your so, 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 um, let me help you out real quick because uh, I do know a little something, just a little something about 
soul food. And I don't know if uh, we had that PowerPoint slide uh, up. We don't? Okay, that's all good. Um, so I was going to tell you a little story about this woman, and there was a picture that I was going to share with you guys. Um, it was a woman, an African-American woman. She was dressed in, you know, um, um, at that time, it was appropriate to the era. Uh, to the era. Um, it was in the 70s, I believe it was, and it was this African-American woman, and she was next to the 38th uh, president of these United States of America, who was uh, Gerald Ford. And it happened to be that, that that woman in that picture was my grandmother. So, so if we're talking about black history, I'm talking about my history. Truth be told, we're talking about your history too, because everybody's from Africa. But by the way, that's a whole other topic. We're, we're not going to get there on that. We're not going to get there on today. <laughs> um, but uh, my grandma was in this picture, and she was standing next to the president, Gerald Ford, and she was the help. If you've ever seen the movie The Help, well, that was my grandma. She was a help, and boy, could she ever cook. She, she came up during the great migration from the South as a sharecropper. She came up to uh, the, the northern metropolitan areas, and they landed in Detroit, Michigan, right? They landed in De Detroit, Michigan, where she and my grandfather raised 12 children, six boys and six girls. And so when I say I know a little something about soul food, what I know I learned from her. No, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to sit down with her and have one-on-one -on -one lessons, but the knowledge that she had was passed down. And, and, and so what I've come to know and to understand about soul foods, I heard it already referenced on today. We talked about greens and neck bones, and, but I want to help y'all out really quick about this whole mac and cheese situation, okay? Can I talk to y'all about mac and cheese for one quick second? Okay, see the problem I have with mac and cheese is I've seen recipes on the internet where they're putting breadcrumbs. They're putting breadcrumbs on top of mac and cheese. That is a, what did you say? That is a, that's a sin. <laughs> right there. Don't you ever again in your life, if you don't remember anything else that I've said on today, put breadcrumbs on top of your mac and cheese. I'm sorry, you guys. I just needed, I just felt like I needed to get that off my chest. I, I'm sorry. I just needed to get that out the way. That's, that's a no-no. No, don't do that. One thing else I know about mac and cheese is that you don't start it with a roux. You don't start mac and cheese with a fancy bechamel sauce or a white sauce. That's a French term, but, but you know, that's not how we did it growing up. We started it with a custard. You started with some, some milk and some eggs. I'm trying to help y'all out, help y'all get some understanding here because so, there's been some miseducation and we're going to get some clarification on today. So I, I just want you to know that you don't start it with a roux, you start it with a custard. So, 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 so I know just a little snippet. I know something uh, about soul food. I've been blessed to, to travel across the country and I've, I've been at some of the, the best soul food establishments in the nation. I've been to Atlanta, and I've been to Harlem, and I've been to St. Louis, and I've been to Houston, and I've been to New Orleans, New Orleans. Uh, and, and, and what I've found is that each geographical area has their own spin on soul food. 
They have their own little seasonings that they mix up in there, and you can tell and make a distinction from one place to the next. And so what I want you to understand is I know just a little something, but I, but I do have a confession, and I think it's okay. Is this a safe space? Can I make a confession on today? You see, what I've learned is that in spite of everything Grandmama taught me and everywhere that I've been, I, I feel at some level that I've still been misled. Because, because what they did not tell me about soul food is that you can actually trace that term back to Shakespeare. They didn't tell me that. Just like every other expression in the English language, it can go back to Shakespeare. They didn't tell me that, though. I, I had no idea. They didn't tell me that soul food didn't become soul food until the 1960s when terms like soul music and soul brother became important demarcations of African-American culture. They didn't tell me that, though. They didn't tell me that one of my favorite meals, chicken and waffles, really didn't come from Harlem. Truth be told, it came from old world Germany. Go figure, right? Usually doesn't cultural appropriation work the other way around, usually? Usually that's how it works, but I guess we stole that from them. So I had no idea. I had no idea of all this. So I felt like I was a little bit miseducated. I felt like I was a little bit miseducation. And worst of all, you guys, this is the worst part of it. What they did not tell me is that many people feel that instead of referring to soul food as soul food, it should really be referred to as slave food. It should be really referred to as slave food, which brings us at great long last to our text for this morning. Exodus the 16th chapter and the third verse. The Israelites said to them, them in this case is Moses and Aaron. They said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Hmm, that sounds rather ominous, doesn't it? There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. Sounds like a good time. But here, you're going to sense the finger pointing. You have brought us into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. It had barely been a month, you all, since Moses and the Israelites had left Egypt and the people were complaining once again, like they did in chapter 15 when they got thirsty, just like they did in chapter 14 when Pharaoh was still in hot pursuit. I mean, what's really going on here? It would seem to me that somehow, someway, they've already been convinced that one month in freedom was worse than 400 years of bondage. How could this be? It doesn't make sense. But truth be told, you guys, some of us have been convinced of the exact same thing. We've been convinced that this whole church thing, this whole living for God thing, this whole set-apart life thing really is not worth it. We've been convinced that we should throw in the towel, that we would be, what, what, better off? You fill in the blank. We would be better off doing our own thing. Some of us even think that we would be better off dead. But I've come to remind somebody on today that the devil is a liar and the father 
of lies. He knows that whatever he is peddling to you cannot compare to what God has promised you. He knows that all he can do is trick you into believing otherwise. That's his only hope. He wants to get you to a place where you're willing to substitute your appetite for God for fleshly desires and cravings. He wants to get you to be a point where you are so concerned with what others have to say about you that you forget what God has to say about you, who he's called you to be. He wants to get you to a point that you're willing to believe the lie that life in Egypt was far better than life in freedom. If he can get you to believe that, then I'm sorry. It's game over, point, set, match. But uh, y'all have to remember, if we're going to go back to the historical origin of a thing, we have to understand that it all did start with a lie, and it was a lie that was centered around food. You guys understand that it was back in the garden that the Satan, the, 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 the tempter, he was talking to Eve, and he was trying to allure her with some food. This is not... Nothing new. The same game the devil's running at you. He was running back in the day with Eve. He's trying to convince you that you can substitute God's purpose for your life for pleasure. But I believe, wasn't it Brother Moses who said, they, it was rather said of him in, in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews, it was said of him that he chose rather to suffer oppression. <laughs> he chose rather to suffer hard tests, trials, and tribulations than to endure the pleasures of the world for but a season. <laughs> See, everything the devil has to offer you has an expiration date. <laughs> oh, you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you on today. Some things that the devil is catering to you have already expired. They're old. They're played out. But God wants to do something new in your life. He wants to do something great. And so I'm wondering on today, is there anybody that is hungry for some real soul food? If you're hungry for some real soul food, I invite you even right now to stand up on your feet. Some real soul food that will satisfy the longing of your soul. Because you can try everything else. You can try being a relationship, but that's not real soul food. That's just a soul tie. But God wants you to know on today that if you can come to him, he will supply your need. If we finish reading in Exodus... If we finish that whole chapter, which we don't have time to do, we'll understand that God supplied manna. It wasn't until they were in a what? Desert place that manna was appropriated. And that was just a foreshadowing because in John the sixth chapter, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the desert and they died, but whoever eats of me shall never die and shall live again. Anybody hungry? Anybody hungry? Anybody thirsty? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst.
if you're hungry, if you're really hungry, I'm not talking for the water in the cafeteria, but I'm talking about real soul food that can satisfy the need of your soul. I invite you just to meet me right here. I want to pray with you just for once at any hungry folk. This ain't for the comfortable, but for the hungry. This ain't for the comfortable, but this is for the hungry. Because it was not until the prodigal became uncomfortable. It wasn't until he became uncomfortable that he realized that this slop, this slave food that he was eating in the pig pen was not worthy to be compared to what his father had in his house. You got to get fed up with where you are. Any folk fed up? Any discontented folk? Come up to this altar because... If you're really hungry and thirsty for God, you're not going to be discontented for long because he has everything you need for the tired, for the weary, for those who are ready to throw in the towel. God says, I've got greater for you. I've got a purpose. I still got a plan for your life. And all you got to do is acknowledge your need. Any thirsty folk, any hungry folk, anybody desperate for more of God, If you're desperate, come. Just lift your hands all over this sanctuary. Father God, we come before you right where we are, God. Some of us are in a mess of a situation, but you can pick us up. You can turn us around, God. You can draw us to yourself, God. We come just as we are. We're hungry, God, for more of you. We need a touch from you, God. We need you to move in our hearts and in our minds, God. We're desperate for you. You are what we need, God. You are all we need. In the old church, I'm wondering if my brother can help me. We sang a song, I need the old. I need. Anybody need the Lord? Anybody really need God to do something about your situation? He's here. He's able. He's willing. Just lift your hands. He'll bless you. He will. If you're desperate for him, if you're desperate for him, anybody desperate for him? Just lift your hands and say, I need you, God. This other food doesn't satisfy my soul.
Now I'm going to invite you to get ready as we get ready to dismiss from this place, but never from the presence of the Lord. I want us to make a collective confession as we get ready to go back to our seats. Because though we've come hungry, there's a picture in the Bible of the beggar for bread. He needed something to eat. He needed some bread and he was begging for bread. The psalmist said, I was young and I was old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaking nor his seed begging bread. It was a real thing in that day, standing on the side of the road begging for bread. But God wants me to remind each and every one of you on today that as long as your heart's desire is to partake of the bread of life, you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. So we're going to make a collective confession. We're going to say, I'm satisfied. I'm filled. And because of that, I have the power and the anointing to share what I've got with somebody else. Now go back to your seat and say, I'm passing some bread today. I'm passing some life today. I'm passing some life to somebody else. Somebody else needs a word of encouragement. I'm passing some bread of life. Go rejoicing and believing that God will satisfy.